Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Well, we finally left Fight Island, but we are heading back to the Apex for an exciting middleweight tout between Edmund Shabazian and Derek Brunson this upcoming weekend. We, of course, will be breaking down that fight as well as our two other favorite fights on the card as part of our Fights, Dogs, and Parlay segment where we give you an underdog in a parlay to play as well if you're heading into the weekend looking to gamble. Plus, we're also going to give you the exclusive interviews with fighters on that fight card. First, we're going to be talking to headliner Edmund Shabazian about the fight and the middleweight title picture in general. Plus, we'll be talking to Ed Shortfuse Herman about his long career in the UFC. And, of course, Eric Spicely, who's getting ready for his bout with Marcus Perez. And we're going to get all that content to you right now. And kicking off the show today, I have the upcoming headliner, Edmund Shabazian, who fights Derek Brunson in Las Vegas this upcoming weekend. So, Edmund, I actually wanted to ask you about becoming the headliner of this fight, because obviously it was supposed to be headlined by Holly Holm versus Irene Aldana. What were your thoughts when they told you you were being thrusted into the main event? It was cool, you know. I was pretty hyped and excited. Uh, you know, it's my first time I'm going to be headlining a card, so... To get this opportunity, it's amazing, and I'm, I'm blessed to have this opportunity. Absolutely, and, and obviously, I'm assuming by now you've probably seen, like, the poster art and stuff. What, what's it like seeing your face on a UFC poster like that? Oh, super cool. You know, as a kid, I always dreamed of, you know, one day maybe headlining an event, and for, for it to be happening right now, you know, I can't ask for more. Uh, I'm just, I, I can't wait to go out there and perform and put on a solid performance. Absolutely. Now, you know, you said that you're really excited for the performance. Obviously, it's a change to have it be the main event, kind of last second. Do you wish that you could have had a five-round fight? Because obviously, I know this one is going to be three. Do you wish you could make it a five-round fight? It would make it would be no different for me. You know, maybe just like a few adjustments, but uh, I, I would have been ready for a five-round if, if they had uh, made it a five-round. It would have been no problem for me. Do you think it would be a problem for Derek Brunson? Do you think it would be hard for him to transition to it? Uh, I don't know, honestly. I don't know. I don't know if he's gone five rounds before in his career. So that one, I, I wouldn't know. But as far as for me, I, I, I'm, I'm in the best shape of my life right now, mentally and physically. So I'm ready for anything. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, you mentioned, too, that it's great that this headliner is happening at this time, right? You're, it's happening at a very young time in your career. You're still 22 on your way to your 23rd birthday. Has it dawned on you that like you're probably not that far away from being the youngest champ in, in UFC history with a couple of wins here? Oh, for sure. You know, uh, I know definitely the future is bright if, if I continue the way I'm going and that uh, youngest championship title. Um, will come sooner than sooner than ever if I keep going the way I'm going. And, and I know some people have, have said, you know, Macy Barber came out and said she had a, a watch on her phone telling her how long she's got. How, how closely do you pay attention to what that deadline is? is? Is it something you care about that that heavily? I don't have something like, no, I don't have anything like on my phone, the deadline, anything like that, but 
I know it's like uh, I have to like next next July. So so next July uh, it'll be the time to be the youngest champion. But regardless of that, you know, I'm only focused on Derek Brunson. I'm, I take it one fight at one fight at a time. You know, I focus on one opponent each time. You know, and uh, I treat each fight like a gold medal match. So my main focus right now is on Derek Brunson, and after uh, I'll figure those things out. I love that mentality. Now let's talk a little bit about Derek Brunson too, because he's an interesting style matchup, and he's been in there with you know all of the top guys in the division, really. Right? He fought Israel Adesanya, he fought Robert Whitaker. You know, what are sort of your thoughts on him as an opponent when they gave you that name? I thought it was the appropriate matchup, you know, based on where the UFC has us ranked. And, you know, it's a good, good, good fight for me. You know, he's fought, all, like you said, he's fought all, he's fought all the uh, top guys in the division. So it'll definitely be a good, good, uh, good win for me, you know, to, to beat a guy like him. For sure. Now, let's talk about the top of the division, too, because, you know, they just announced in September there's going to be a title fight happening in the division between Israel Adesanya and Paulo Costa. And obviously with you, you know, having your eyes on the top of the division, I'm sure you heard about the fight. Do you have any thoughts on that matchup before it happens? Um, Like a prediction who I think will win? Yeah, I mean, you could give us a prediction if you wanted to. But otherwise, you know, how you think that fight might play out? Prediction wise, I, I think um, I think Adesanya will take it. I think he, he's gonna. I think he'll counter him and catch Costa with the with the, some type of counter. I think he's a little more slick, and he'll definitely be able to counter him. I, I like that prediction. Now I'm curious too. As you looked at the top of the division, I know you're looking just at Brunson. I, I don't want to keep pressing on that, but do you imagine that Israel Adesanya is kind of the guy who you are going to have to be the one to dethrone? Or do you see, you know, kind of lots of possibilities of who you might face, you know, come sometime around next June or July? I think uh, from the way it looks, I think if everything goes the way it's supposed to go, I think Adesanya will be a good fun matchup, you know, in, in the future. And I think he'll be the champion for little until I come. <laughs> I, I love that. Now, before I do let you go, too, I do want to get a quick prediction out of you as to your matchup. You're facing Derek Brunson, who, like you said, is a, is a tough guy. How do you see this match ending? How do you see him getting out of him there? I'm just coming in it's the best shape of my life. I'm coming in fully prepared. You know, I'm ready for anything that's coming my way. I, I'm going to go out there and put on a put on a very good performance and uh, just be on the lookout because I'm, com- I'm coming in the best I've looked and... Uh, I'm just, I just want to show, show a lot of my tools. All right. Well, we're certainly looking forward to that. Once again, this is UFC headliner Edmund Shabazian, who's fighting Derek Brunson on that headliner this upcoming Saturday. Thanks so much for the time, Edmund. We really appreciate it. Anytime. Thank you, guys. And that interview with Edmund Shabazian is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do boxing, kickboxing, jiu-jitsu, sambo, or any other martial art, this is the way to track your progress because they allow you to not only log your training sessions but leave yourself notes, tag other fighters or other other training partners to, to tag techniques so that you can easily look those up again. It is a wonderful system. Plus, you can, of course, put your competitions in there as well so that you have a nice running log of all the ways that you've competed. So it is definitely a one-stop shop if you are a martial arts enthusiast. I highly suggest checking them out wherever it is you download apps. 
And joining me today is Ed Short Fuse Herman, who is now fighting Gerald Nearshart at UFC Brunson versus Shabazian this upcoming weekend. So, Ed, you know, I was looking at your record before this interview. It's about 17 years after you made your pro debut. To what do you accredit this this crazy longevity? You know, uh, quite a few things uh, over the years I've learned to help help me, you know, continue to stick around. Uh, just taking care of my body, listening to my body when I need rest. Um, you know, obviously, I'm older now, so I take a little better care of myself. I get more sleep. I'm not out on the town having fun like I used to when I was younger. Um, but just trying to get better all the time, man. Just always trying to get better. Um, and, again, being healthy is, is key for me. I'm probably the healthiest I've been in my career right now, which is crazy to say at 39. But I feel, I feel pretty awesome, man. It's pretty crazy. Well, and obviously, like you said, some of that is due to a lifestyle change. But now I'm interested about, as far as technique goes, you're talking about getting better all the time. What do you do that helps you bring in fresh ideas, bring in fresh techniques, keep yourself getting better all the time? Um, well, one thing I think is staying consistent with my coaching staff. A lot of guys jump around. They lose a fight. They think they got to make a major change. Um, I trust the guys around me. And, uh, you know, when we make mistakes, we go back and we work on fixing them. And I think that's that's huge. And just always being a student of the game. Like, I'm always trying to learn. I'm always in the gym trying to get better, um, trying to help the other guys out and just, just pick up anything I can. And, and just out of curiosity, you know, obviously doing the work in the gym helped you out a little bit there, too, as well. But you said student of the game. Do you watch a lot of MMA? Do you dissect a lot of MMA that way? Um, I do watch quite a bit. You know, a lot of my close friends aren't fighters, so they still enjoy, like, watching the fights on the weekend it's not my favorite thing to do but you know I'll, I'll, I'll hang out and especially if there's a light heavyweight fight I'll, I'll watch it pretty close um, but but I definitely do watch quite a bit of fights uh, but more in the gym man I'm always I'm always trying to perfect my craft uh, working on technique I'm not in there banging my head against the wall every day but I'm I'm working on footwork I'm breaking down the little details of technique and uh being a coach and coaching all the time helps you do that. So you got to really analyze stuff and break it down with details when you're coaching it because uh, different people learn in different ways. So you really got to, you know, figure out how people learn and how you can break stuff down. And, and I know you kind of have the, like, grizzled veteran, you know, role in the gym now, too. In addition to being a coach, you're also the guy who's clearly been fighting the longest in that gym, and you're surrounded by much younger guys. What, what is that like to you to be that guy that so many people look up to? Um, you know, it's cool. I embrace it. I love being able to help the young guys and the guys who reach out to me for help. You know, they're benefit. They benefit from it because um, I feel like I got a lot of knowledge and a lot to give back in so many different ways. I've, I'll talk to guys about, you know, how important it is to, to start an LLC or an S Corp and how just all that little stuff when it comes to the business side, how to get your ducks in a row so you have, you know, opportunities outside of the cage and after your career. So, um, there's so many things that go into this business and anything I can help these, these youngsters with, um, you know, cause they'll be making millions soon and hopefully they remember me. <laughs> that's, that, that's that, very, you know what I mean? When that money really starts getting good. Um, I'm, I'm one of the guys who laid the groundwork and was fighting for a hundred dollars and shit. So, yeah. And I was going to ask you that, you know, like so many people now are talking about fighter pay and making sure that fighters get their fair share. And obviously we all want to see fighter pay go up, but, what is that like hearing that, knowing what, you know, you fought for, you know, 17 years ago? Well, you know, I understand. Of course, everybody wants 
get paid more. I would love to get paid more too. Um, you know, as the sport evolves, the money has gone up. Guys are making more money. You're seeing guys making a few guys are making millions. Not everybody yet, but there's a few guys doing it. And I remember when GSP made like he was one of the first guys to make a million, and it was like, wow, I can't believe this is really happening. You know what I mean? Um, and I'm not making that kind of money, but I'm making better money than I've ever had. You know, I I make enough money to live a a, a good lifestyle. Well, I'm not a great lifestyle. I mean, we're comfortable. Definitely not like falling out of control, but you know. Um, I'm making, I'm making decent money now more than I ever have. Uh, I would enjoy more obviously, but, uh, you know, uh, you know, we're doing all right, you know, but that money doesn't last forever. So I'm trying to make moves and, uh, you know, invest in real estate and put money away in my retirement, my kids' education and things like that. And I wasn't really able to do that earlier in my UFC career because the money just wasn't good enough, but now I'm able to do that a little bit. So I'm happy about that. You know what I mean? And how is the win streak? Because you're on a two-fight win streak. I feel like a lot of people forget that. How, how has that win streak affected that, too? Is it giving you a little bit more bargaining power as you, you hit kind of the tail end of your career here? Well, after I beat Cummings, I got a new a new four-fight deal. So, you know, every time you win, your money goes up a little bit, depending on your contract. And, uh, you know, if I can get a couple more wins, maybe get another big contract, uh, you know, and, and make even more money than I'm making now would be would be great, right? Give me some opportunity to, you know, invest more into my future and uh you know, ride out on somewhat of a white horse in my in my terms, based off of uh, you know fighting for a hundred dollars on my first fight. Absolutely, and and now you said you know try to get a couple more fights after this if this one comes out your way. Is that sort of your goal, no matter what? Just a few more after this one, or, or do you see yourself fighting for a couple more years if things keep going right? You know, I have mixed emotions about it. You know, uh, depends on on the day you catch me on, but. But really, right now, I'm trying to approach it one fight at a time. You know what I mean? Uh, just just do my best and stay healthy. And um, after each fight, assess the situation where I'm at with my health and all that is huge. So, you know, my mental health and physical health and just, you know, being able to still enjoy doing this. And if you're not into it mentally, this is a hard chop to do. You know what I mean? So you got to be you got to be ready to go mentally. Um so, uh, again, just one at a time, you know what I mean? Really, I'm trying to enjoy the moment. I'm, I'm 39 years old, and, you know, there's a couple times I thought my career was over with some knee injuries, and so I'm, I'm just excited to still be able to do this and, and compete at a high level. Absolutely. Now, now you're fighting Gerald Mearshart, which is a late replacement here, and a guy coming up a weight class. How much did that change your preparation mentally, physically? How much did it, you know, kind of mess with your mind having such a late uh, change in opponent? You know, it always throws a knot in your stomach when you hear from like the matchmaker or somebody this close to a fight because you know something's something's up, right? Uh, so just seeing there's a text from Mick, I'm like, oh shit, you know, you get that little knot in your stomach, like what's gonna happen? Happened my last fight too. I got a last minute change. Um, you know, I had a feeling it might happen with the guy coming from Korea. There's a lot of guys having trouble getting visas right now, so I was kind of ready mentally for it to happen. Um, you know, but I like the matchup, really. You know, uh, Jung was a, a big, strong guy. He was almost 6'5". You know, he used to fight a heavyweight. Had some good, you know, knockout power. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, Gerald Mershart, he's a tough guy. He's durable. But uh, I feel like uh, it's a lot better matchup for me, really. I feel like I'm going to um, be bigger, stronger, and pretty much better than him everywhere. Well, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Now, also, too, if you win this fight, we mentioned the two-fight win streak. You're on a three-fight win streak. Light heavyweight isn't that thick of a division. Do you think about that often, being this late in your career, that there's a chance you could make a, a run up this division right now? 
Absolutely. You know, um, like I said, one fight at a time, but at the same time, that's in my head. I feel like I can compete with anybody in the world at this division. I'm one of the toughest son of bitches out there. And anybody who uh, doubts that can step in the cage with me um, and, and say that afterwards. You know, there's a few guys who were able to finish me, me fairly quick, uh, you know, like two guys, you know. And uh, it was just, you know, they just were better at that moment. Uh, but there's nobody who's fought me who's raising their hand to fight me again. I guarantee it because they know they know I'm coming. And uh, on the right day, I can beat any man. I know that. All right. Well, I like to end these things with a prediction. Can you tell me what you think is going to happen and what's going to go down when you face Gerald Mearshart this upcoming Saturday? Uh, you're going to see my hand raised. That's what's going to happen. I'm not going to give anyway any secrets on how I'm going to finish this guy. But you're looking to see a finish and you're going to see my hand raised. All right, well, you heard it here first, folks. This was Ed Shortfuse Herman, who fights Gerald Mearshart this upcoming Saturday at UFC Brunson versus Shavazian. Ed, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Right on, brother. Take care. And that interview with Ed Shortfuse Herman is brought to you by BattleClan Gear. Visit BattleClanGear.com and make sure to use promo code TURTLEUP10. That's T-U-R-T-L-E-U-P-10. That's going to score you 10% off your whole order there. If you're looking for some fresh grappling gear to hit the gym with once again, you're going to want to do so with BattleClan Gear because not only does it look great, it also feels great. It is some of the comfiest grappling gear I've ever put on and of course you can get it at 10% off right now when you use our promo code TURTLEUP10 so head on over to BattleClanGear.com right now and get yourself some new duds alright and I am joined now by Eric Spicely who fights Marcus Perez at UFC Brunson versus Shabazian in Las Vegas this upcoming weekend so you know Eric obviously you know this whole pandemic has been a, a tough time for a lot of people how, how excited are you to get back in there fighting Oh, man, I mean, I've had three fights fall out this year, um, two because of injury, and then I was supposed to fight in March. I was supposed to fight Roman Kopilov in Columbus, and uh, that was the second card canceled by the pandemic. So, I mean, it's been a long year. I, I've been trying to fight. Uh, you know, it's, it's a long time coming, so I'm excited to just get back in there. You know, it's been a long layoff. I usually haven't fought. I haven't had this long of a layoff in my whole career, so it's been over a year. My last fight was June 23rd last year. Yeah, and, and, and how is, hard is it to stay positive mentally and to stay positive in training knowing that, you know, you've been this close to fighting this many times and, and it's just not happened? Uh, I've, I've never really struggled with that. Like, I, I fully enjoy training. I fully enjoy fighting, so that hasn't been a problem. Uh, it's mostly just like, you know, I don't have another job. I live in Canada. And I can't work here, but I'm because I'm American. So you know, I've just uh, I, I expected to obviously you know get these paychecks, and then like I haven't. So that's just been tough. So I had to just budget a little bit more, and not knowing when I was going to fight, or you know what I mean, with the whole pandemic. So it's just a little tough that way. Now I know you're originally from the the East Coast. Is the move to Canada something somewhat new, or is has that been happening for a long time? No, I've been living here for. Uh, almost five years now. So I lived here for two years. Uh, I first came up here when I fought Tiago Santos, and then I took a year off and lived in Vegas, but then I moved back here. So it's been, yeah, sometimes four or five years, um, pretty much since I've been in the UFC. Uh, so yeah, this has been my only source of income, like I said, because I don't have a work visa here. Um, 
so yeah, I love it here. The Canada is my favorite place. I mean, Montreal is the best place I've ever lived in my entire life. Well, well, that's awesome to hear. Now, I'm actually really glad you brought up that Tiago Santos fight because I was going to ask you about it. You know, looking through your record, you know, you're a guy who who got let go by the UFC. But if you go a little bit further back, you're a guy who not only beat Tiago Santos, but you submitted Tiago Santos. Do, do you feel like watching this run for him to the title at light heavyweight and, you know, arguably winning the f- title at, at light heavyweight? Has it been crazy for you watching that? Uh, it, it wasn't really crazy for me. A lot of people kept asking me like, Oh, how does it feel to, you know, beat the guy who's fighting for the title? And at the time I wasn't in the UFC anymore because my contract had ended. So I was like, you know, I, it doesn't matter what you did in the past. It's like a, what's going on right now, you know? And it's like, a, that doesn't matter to me. I'm very happy that I accomplished that big thing and I went to his hometown and you know, all that stuff. But, uh, I'm, I'm kind of a, like, what have you done lately kind of person? And, and that's what really matters to me more so than my past accomplishments. Like, of course, it's always great to have that uh, in the bag. But, you know, you got to win fights. You know, you can't just stay in on your reputation alone. Absolutely. And, and do you find that that puts more pressure on this upcoming bout? I mean, obviously, you know, you're coming off of a loss against Dar- Darren Wynn. You know, two in a row after just being re-signed, do you feel like this is extra pressure? Um, no, I don't really feel like it's extra pressure. I feel like, especially with the the way things are right now, like now is the best time to be a fighter. You know, they're signing guys on short notice. Uh, you know, Jesse Ronson just got re-signed after that. Sean Shelby said he'd never fight in the UFC again. So I, I think, uh, like I said, I, I also don't have any pressure. You know, I, I've been in the UFC for five years now. Uh, I've been lucky to get re-signed. Um, which barely happens, especially after one year. I mean, you look at a guy like Nicholas Dalby, who what, he fought five years before he got re-signed, and, you know, a lot of people. So I, I was lucky. I've been very lucky in my career. And, uh, yeah, I'm happy to just – I'm just happy to be able to compete and get to live the life that I still get to live. Yeah, that, that's certainly awesome. Now, I wanted to ask you about some other things, too, because in doing some digging – I actually found some old pro wrestling videos of you alongside of uh, UFC veterans Chuck O'Neill, who some people might be familiar with, and if you're you know, a big wrestling fan, Matt Riddle as well. So i, I got to ask you, what got you into wrestling, and is that something you, you, know, you still you know, aspire to at some point in your career? Um, so I actually was into wrestling when I was a kid. That's the first, what I thought was combat sports. You know, I was a little kid. I thought it was real. I thought they were really fighting. So, you know, as I got older, it didn't seem really possible to become a wrestler. And then, like, once I saw the UFC, I was like, holy shit, like, this is what I want to do. And, like, I don't know about everyone that grew up watching wrestling, but, like, we all practice the moves on our, our brothers and, you know, our friends. And, uh, like I said, I thought that's what combat sports was. I thought they were really fighting. So, you know, as I got older, I started training MMA. And then I met uh, my trainer is actually Oni Lorcan, who wrestles down at NXT. I don't know if you you follow uh, wrestling that much. Okay, so only Lorcan trained us, and and uh, we got brought in, and you know we started wrestling around the same time as Matt Riddle, so they wanted to do an all UFC stable, and Tom Lawler is also a wrestler who I grew up training with in in Rhode Island. Uh, so yeah, it was something that I just loved. I'd always loved as a kid. I don't really watch pro wrestling anymore as much, but. Uh, yeah, and then I actually had to try to WWE, which is even more surreal, after I got released from the UFC. So, like I said, I've been pretty lucky in my career. 
Yeah, and that's interesting. And in that little short stick, because you were only out, like you said, only out of the UFC for a year. You got two fights with CES that both ended in very impressive fashion on your part, and a tryout with the WWE. That that sounds like a pretty damn good year to me. Yeah, it wasn't bad. And I, I think it's just like, you know, some people, they get cut and they, you know, they kind of just give up and uh, let it get them down. And, and I was pretty, you know, I was like, you know, shit, I don't know if I should get a job or move back to the States and, and kind of quit fighting and leave it all behind. And I was running low on money. And uh, I, like I said, I couldn't work. And my friends were all telling me, like, you just come back, like the dream's over, you know. And, and I was like, nah, I just I feel it. Like, I just got to keep at it. And uh yeah, luckily it worked out. You know, I kept training. I kept in shape. I didn't, I was ready on six days notice when they called me. And, uh, yeah, the rest is history. That, that's awesome. Can't now, give up, you know, like a lot of people like to just cash out their chips and go home. And it's like, I don't know. You know, I, it was very unlikely that I'd be re-signed. I was 32. And I lost three in a row. You know, I only beat two guys that didn't have crazy good records. But, yeah, you, you just never know when that call's coming. I got to ask you, too, because that is some of the the most upbeat feeling about being released I've ever heard from any fighter. And obviously it worked out for you. What allowed you to help keep that positive attitude with, with so many people doubting you? Um, I, I just knew that I had a lot more to give. You know, like I, I, had, I have a lot of regrets from especially after the Alessio fight, with Alessio de Chirico. Like I, I made a lot of mistakes just either with training or with like people I was surrounding myself with, uh, you know, just letting my personal life impact my, my career. And, and I knew that I didn't give it my all. And then, you know, ending on that note, like, you know, my good friend, one of my best friends in the entire world, Joe Duffy just retired last week. And, you know, he's like, look, I'm at peace with it. I gave it my all, you know, I really tried as hard as I could. I put everything in every camp. I can honestly say that I tried and I just don't have it anymore. And it's better to just retire now. And that's not how I felt when I got released. You know, I was like, you know, I, I, I accomplished all these things. I beat Tiago Santos. I beat these other guys. I was ranked 16th, 17th in the world. Like, I know what I'm capable of. And I didn't give that in my last three fights. And, you know, I can just use that as a learning learning example. And, and hopefully you get another chance at the, uh, at the game. And luckily I did. And I think, uh, like... Even during my fight, Bisping said, you know, some people, they get cut. They said they had their time in the sun, and, you know, I accomplished this thing. I fought in the UFC, but that's it. I'm done. I'm going to go get a job and move on, you know? Yeah, I, I'm, hey, I love that and, mentality. Now, I, I got to ask you about the fight, too, because now you're taking that mentality into this fight with Marcus Perez, who, who's a tough guy and has got a ton of submissions on his record as well. I know you you know, have a black belt in jiu-jitsu yourself under Tim Burrell, who's a, you know, a, a hell of a jiu-jitsu coach. What do you think about the grappling in this match and, and how it will play out? Um, I actually think we're both going to probably stand a lot. Uh, I mean, as you saw in my Duran Wynn fight, I, I kind of I feel so much better being in there now. I feel so much more confident in my striking. I mean, I used to be terrified. I used to be not wanting. I used to think if I got hit, I was going to get knocked out. And and then you know, I realized like I'd never even gone three rounds like that in my entire life, much less on short notice with no camp and a big weight cut and. And, you know, we just threw punches the whole, I didn't shoot one takedown drawn. And, uh, I just have so much more fun striking. And it, it's like, that's all I've been working on. But like, I, I have a good camp, a good team. And I think that's also like why I kept at it because I was like, man, I'm learning so much. I'm getting so much better. I'm like actually getting so much better. 
And, you know, I feel like I had just learned how to fight, you know, in those last two CES fights and like, uh, the one with Saran, it was like, I just learned how to fight and it's been years. And even Sanchez, Andrew Sanchez said the same thing. It's like, I've been doing this for eight years, nine years. I feel like I just learned how to fight now. And you see his fights, they're more stand up based. You know, he's wrestling when he can and, and when he should, but he's not just relying on his grappling. He's not just chasing takedowns and holding guys down. He's, he's striking, he's mixing it up and becoming a, a true mixed martial arts. And I feel like that's what's going to happen in this fight because Marcus is a very good grappler, but he, he's wild. He does crazy stuff that he probably doesn't have to do, but, you know, he wants to be exciting, he wants to put on good fights. And, like, that's what I want to do now. So I think we're going to have a lot of, a lot of fun. I don't, I don't foresee there being much grappling unless somebody gets hurt and, you know, gets dropped and then it, it goes to the ground. Well, that sounds like a fight I want to see, and I'm excited to see it. Once again, fans, this was Eric Spicely, who fights Marcus Perez at UFC Brunson versus Shabazian in Las Vegas this upcoming weekend. Eric, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much, man. I appreciate it a lot. Well, we hope you enjoyed those interviews with Edmund Shabazian, Ed Shortfuse Herman, and Eric Spicely. I, of course, once again, am Daniel Gumby-Vreeland. I'm now joined by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, we're leaving Fight Island behind, but before we get to talking about the new cards at the Apex, what is your enduring memory or biggest takeaway from the four cards there? You know, for me, I think it's going to be the rise of Kamzat, uh, Chimiev, uh, and the ability when you're in one site for several weeks, for a fighter, if he doesn't take a lot of damage in a fight, he could just come back two, three weeks later, as we saw, and fight again. So I get to see a great fighter fight twice in the span of, you know, three to four weeks. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you, too. And, and we've seen him rise really quickly. I think the jury's still out on just how good he is. I see people calling for him to fight, you know, Colby Covington and Robbie Lawler and RDA. You know, he just fought two of the worst takedown defenders the UFC currently has. Like, legitimately, two of the worst takedown defenders that the UFC currently has. But that being said, like, I, I am really intrigued, like you said, by the prospect of how quickly you can rise with all of the cards right in a row in the same place, right? Like, we're about to see, you know, three or four cards right in a row in Vegas, turn around October, November, three or four cards right in a row in Fight Island again. We're, we're going to repeat that process until, you know, we get a little bit more semblancy of normalcy. So, like, you know, like, this is interesting. This is interesting to see exactly what's going to happen. What was your big uh, takeaway from the fight, this first round of Fight Island? I mean, from the first round of Fight Island, I was really impressed with Davison Figueredo and what happened with the flyweight division. And, and to be honest, I, I think we saw a bunch of flyweights really take a step forward, too. Askar Askarov looked really good. Amir Albazi looked good. You know, like, all of those guys looked really great. But, but Davidson Figueredo showing that... It was not a fluke that he beat Joseph Benavidez dominantly the first time. He came out and not only did he floor him a bunch of times, but he also submitted him in pretty violent fashion, choking him cold with a rear naked choke. I, I think, you know, and you said it on a previous podcast, he, I, I think he is that star the flyweight division needs. And, and maybe the language barrier holds that back a little bit. But I mean, like, you know, he's got a great personality. He's crazy exciting to watch fight. And not just exciting for me, a guy who already loves flyweights, but like exciting for a guy who who likes to see light heavyweights throw big, heavy leather because he throws big, heavy leather. So I think he's a guy who can actually save the flyweights, not like Henry Cejudo. So I'm excited to see him, you know, probably knock off a whole bunch of contenders right in a row. 
Well, you know where I stand on him. I can't argue with anything you just said. And I'll tell you what I'm crazy excited for right now. It's our favorite segment on the show. It's Spikes, Dogs, and Parlays. Uh, it, of course, is brought to you by my bookie, our favorite place to make a bet. Gumby, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about my bookie? Oh, of course, mybookie.ag. Make sure you visit that website, and you can do so with their mobile experience as well because they have a phenomenal mobile experience. Some of those betting online sites make it very hard to bet from your phone, not mybookie.ag. Plus, they make it very easy for you to cash out. You can get your money within 48 hours, and they make it really easy to deposit money and get started as well. They take cryptocurrency and you get a 50% deposit bonus in their sports book. So there's no better time than right now to start at mybookie.ag. As we say in the business, they got a good UI, a good user interface. They really do make it easy uh, to use and to get your money quickly, which as we all know when gambling and you make that big score, you just want your cheddar. Am I right? All right, let's start with the main event as we normally do. Edmund Shabazian, the minus 280 favorite, is taking on Derek Brunson, a plus 225 dog. Uh, I'm all in on Shabazian. I've been very impressed. But why don't you uh, tell us your opinion? And if it is Shabazian, I'd like to hear what Brunson's path to victory would be in the case of an upset. So so my real – and I actually don't like Shabazian at a number around negative 300. I think that that's too high. I think people are underselling Derek Brunson and playing a little bit of the prospect hype game here. I do like him to win this fight. I do think he will actually win that fight. But that, that number, it's a little bit too high of a risk for me. And the reason is, is because – if you look at Derek Brunson's takedown defense, he stuffed Yoel Romero three or four times in that fight without conceding a takedown. Um, and he's done that to other people, too. He's done that to guys who have a wrestling background like Ian Heinish. So, like, for a guy who's got some pretty damn good takedown defense, you have to imagine this fight's going to take place on the feet. And, and let's remember, Derek Brunson is a guy who blitzed and tagged Loyola Machida. So, like, yeah, I love Edmund Shabazian here. I think, you know, he probably uses judo to throw a little bit more unconventional takedowns at Derek Brunson here. And I actually think he's got a pretty good chance of outpointing him on the feet as well. I think the fact that this is a three-round fight also plays into Derek Brunson's hand, right? This was originally supposed to be the co-main event when Holly Holm, Irene Aldana dropped out due to Aldana's positive COVID test. This got bumped up and not turned into a five-round main event. I think the fact that Brunson starts fast and he's a guy who blitzes a lot winds up playing really well into him in this case. That being said, I do fully expect Shabazian to be able to handle himself on the feet, maybe wear out Brunson and get a submission late. But uh, once again, if you're a betting and a gambling man, negative 280 is not a number you want to see Shabazian at. I think that's really well said, and I do think the three-round plays more into Brunson's hands than it does Shabazian, but I'm still going with Shabazian. I think it's the sound bet. have to fully agree with you that minus 280 seems a little steep for him, so I don't know that I'm necessarily playing him at those odds, but I am just picking him to win outright uh, when it comes to our flow combat standings where we're all chasing uh, current number one champion, Michael Fidel. All right, let's move on. Yo, Joanne Calderwood is a minus 180 favorite uh, to Jennifer Maya, who's the plus 155 dog. I actually looked at this fight earlier today uh, when I was just seeing, you know, reminding myself of who, who was on the card. And I said to myself, oh, I'm really excited to see Joanne Calderwood fight this week. Who are you taking here? Uh, I'm going with Joanne Calderwood. I think she's the better fighter here in a, a lot of different ways. I've been really impressed 
by the development of her grappling under John Wood. If there's anything that John Wood does really well, it's take the weak part of somebody's game and turn it into a relative strength. Look what he did with Roxanne Matafari. Roxanne Matafari, for the longest time, was a really good jujitsu-style grappler with almost no ground and pound and no stand-up to speak of. You know, no offense to Roxy, but that's pretty much the, the avenue she was in. Then she turns into somebody who's got mean elbows from the top, and her striking game is more than adequate. It's, it's good enough to beat some fighters. So, you know, he did that to an extent to Joanne Calderwood in reverse. He's made her jiu-jitsu game very strong. He's made her takedown game very strong. And I think the fact that he's doing that against somebody like Jennifer Maya, who likes to work in the jiu-jitsu area, she's got good Muay Thai, you know, like... I think that that plays really well for because even if Calderwood winds up having to go into an area where she doesn't want to, she's still probably better than Jennifer Maya there. You know, you look at how Jennifer Maya handled Caitlin Shokagian or Liz Carmouche, and like if she had trouble handling those two in those areas, I actually think that you know Joanne Calderwood is better in those areas anyway. So I like Joanne Calderwood. The negative 180 mark, as I'm gonna tell you later, I actually love that pick. You know, she was destined for a title shot against Valentina Shevchenko. Shevchenko needed more time. She winds up having to give it up or maybe give, gave it up by choice, I guess. I, I don't know necessarily the circumstances around that, but I expect her to win here and punch her ticket back to that title shot. No arguments whatsoever from me. Vicente Luke is a minus 185 favorite to Randy, Bla- Randy Brown, a very... Uh, Eh, almost slight, but not a strong dog, but just a plus 155 dog. Who you take him? You know, I'm going to be crazy here. I actually think I want to take Randy Brown in this fight. Like, if you look back at Randy Brown's, you know, record recently, with the exception of a, a very fluky KO loss to Nico Price, where he was on top and he got hammer-fisted from top and knocked out, he would be in a four-fight win streak, which includes a triangle choke win over Worley Alves. It includes knocking out Brian Barberena. It includes absolutely decimating Mickey Gall to a unanimous decision. Like, this is a guy who's put together a really impressive win streak. And if you look at Vicente Luque, I mean, it's almost the opposite. You're talking about a guy who lost to Stephen Wonderboy Thompson and easily outpointed on the feet by him. And before that, he arguably lost to Mike Perry. One judge scored it for Mike Perry. You know, like, he gets hit a lot, and, you know, I, I think his takedown defense is good, but it hasn't really been tested all that much recently. And I think Randy Brown has got the wrestling to at least mix it up and make this weird and make Vicente Luque defend those types of things. Vicente Luque gave up a takedown to Nico Price. He gave up one to Derek Krantz, which, like, you know, nothing against Derek Krantz, but, man, that is not a guy you should be giving up takedowns to when you're about to fight somebody like Randy Brown, who, you know, took down Warley Alves. He took down Nico Price. He, he easily took down Mickey Gall. You know, like, so I, I like Randy Brown to mix this up here, and I actually think he comes out with the upset win. Uh, you know, you, br- you bring up a lot of good points. I'm still taking Vicente Luke. Uh, you like Randy Brown as a dog, but our official underdog of the week is Eric Spicely, an even bigger dog. He's plus 175. Uh, he is a jiu-jitsu specialist, I would say. Why do we like him? So he is a jiu-jitsu specialist, and that's one of the reasons I'm taking him, but I actually am taking him for that reason because I think his his jiu-jitsu prowess here helps him avoid jiu-jitsu against Marcus Perez because Marcus Perez is a guy who's got a couple of Darius chokes on his record. His grappling really is what makes him stand apart, 
And I think the fact that he won't be able to catch Eric Spicely in a submission makes it so that this fight will probably take place on the feet. And I actually like Spicely a little bit better in those regards. I think he's been working on his hands. You can see the clear results. He's a guy who picked up a couple of wins when the UFC released him in CES MMA, which is a Northeastern organization, where he knocked out Kyle Magalhaes, who's a training partner of Glover Teixeira, and like a former UFC vet in his own right. He knocked him out. So, you know, knowing that he's got that kind of power in his hands, it could be a stalemate in the grappling department. I think given that fact that Perez probably won't be able to sub him, makes plus 175 an amazing value. So there's your dog, and we have a bonus dog and Randy Brown. Here's your parlay to play. Uh, you're going to take Joanne Calderwood at minus 180, pair her together with Timur Valiev at minus 195, and get yourself plus 135 odds. Break it down. So, like I said already, Joanne Calderwood, I think, is a slam dunk against Jennifer Maya. I think she does a lot of the things Maya does, only better, um, and, and she's done a really good job of shortening up her, her weaknesses. So, uh, I'll leave that behind. Let's talk about Timur Valiev, who's a guy coming over. He fought in PFL a couple of times. He's fought all over Europe, too, of course, beforehand. He's a guy with great takedowns and a guy who's excellent at coming forward and getting inside. He's fighting Jamal Emery's a guy who hasn't looked great on his back in his career and has got very exceptionally long reach, but he would have to use that reach to stay away from Valiev to avoid the wrestling and avoid him getting inside. And, and for me, I just don't see how he's going to be able to do that. I don't understand how he's going to keep Valiev away because, you know, in, in, when he fought Giga Chikadze, like Chikadze even got into the clinch against him. And Chikadze is not a rush forward wrestler. You know, he's a guy who, who fights from range and, and is okay with a Muay Thai clinch. Like, you know, Valiev is a very different type of fighter. He moves forward very heavily. Uh, so at negative 195, I think Valiev is a very safe play. You get those two safe plays put together, you get plus 135 on the turnaround. So I, I think it's a smart move, and that's my parlay for this week. I love it, and I love fights, dogs, and parlays. I love breaking the stuff down. I love it when we're right, and hey, let's pat ourselves on the back. We're pretty good at what we do. Follow along uh, as the fights are going on on Twitter. We're always live tweeting. You can let us know if we did you right with some of these predictions and betting tips, or let us know if we did you dirty. We accept both love and hate feedback. Gumby, that wraps it up for fights, dogs, and parlays. Why don't you wrap up the show as a whole? And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. Couldn't do what we do without you guys. We also want to thank Flow Combat for having us on. They are the mothership. Check them out, flowcombat.com. Also, please check out our sponsors, Maroon Social, wherever it is you download apps, battleclangear.com, and, of course, mybookie.ag. Also, check us out on Twitter, at Top Turtle MMA, and you can check us out on Instagram as well, at Top Turtle MMA as well there. Give us a follow in both places. We're pretty entertaining. And if you want some more entertainment, you can check us out next week. I'm Daniel Gumby-Vreeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte. And we'll see you then.